Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's Insight Assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Media Podcast Network. All right, everybody, it is Friday, October twenty eighth, twenty twenty two, and it is indeed a heck of a morning. Live on the MMA Fighting Twitter spaces, you can hear the show in its entirety shortly thereafter on the MMA Fighting Podcasting Network. I am Mike Heck. We made it to Friday, everybody. I'm proud of all of you. I'm proud of all of us. We have made it. And we are on the eve of a very busy day in the combat sports world, of course. Bellator will kick us off with their return to Milan. The UFC will return on Saturday afternoon, 4 p.m. Eastern prelim start time for that card headlined by Calvin Cater versus Arnold Allen. Fight is fantastic. I cannot wait to see it. Very, very excited for that one. Tons of boxing. Katie Taylor's fighting. Lomachenko's fighting. Of course, Jake Paul versus Anderson Silva is happening. And Jake Paul and Anderson Silva have made a bet. How about that? At the press conference yesterday, which we were there live for. If you haven't seen it, go to the MMA Fighting YouTube channel and check it out. Jake Paul and Anderson Silva have agreed to a bet. If Jake Paul wins, Anderson Silva will have to be sort of his co-chair on a new fighters association. And if Anderson Silva wins, Jake Paul will fight him in a kickboxing match. Very interesting stuff. Better than the usual Jake Paul bets where there's tattoos and just like fake money bets and all this craziness. This is like way more interesting and Anderson's on board. I mean, what else were you going to bet Anderson Silva? Because he wanted nothing to do with pretty much anything. But this, he was like, all right, I'm in. I'll do it. So another interesting wrinkle to this whole thing. And it's it's such an interesting build to this fight because it's not – I don't know if like people are – I don't know how to describe it. This the, the, obviously the the same vibes we had heading into the Ben Askren fight, the first Hired Woodley fight, 
it's not the same. And then even the second Tyron Woodley fight, it just kind of got glommed together last minute because of the whole Tommy Fury situation and him needing a new opponent. And we kind of already went through that song and dance before. We ended up getting a great knockout, but man, that fight was just sucky. It was so bad up until that knockout. I mean, I was there. I'm like, come on, man. What is going on here? No, like literally nothing happened for six plus rounds. And then finally Paul knocked him out in the seventh, but it's an intriguing fight. I have a prediction for it, which you'll read tomorrow. I believe on mafighting.com. There's a, there's a betting line that I really like and I'm going with it. I'm not betting on the fight, but if I were to bet on the fight, this is the bet I would make, but we can talk about that. We can talk about whatever you want because it is, ladies and gentlemen, a free-for-all Friday. We can talk MMA. We can talk about life. A lot of you like to talk pro wrestling. We can talk whatever you want. So let's get after this thing. Let's start with Max. Oh, Mike. Good morning. What an honor to be starting with you this free-for-all Friday. How are you feeling today? I'm feeling good. I'm drinking my Dunkin' Donuts <laughs> Black iced coffee, and they had a deal today where if you got a large iced coffee, you get a medium for free. So you bet your bippy that I got my medium sitting in the fridge, and I'll be drinking that bad boy later on. Man, what what a time to be alive, hey? To be honest, I don't even think they have a Dunkin' (laughs) where I live, so that's hilarious. I'm hoping you're going to enjoy those just as much as you sound like you are. That's incredible. (laughs) So what's going on? Oh, yes, question time. So... I was wondering about um, our old boy, Arnold Allen, uh, for this weekend. Um, Arnold's on a nine-fight win streak. And uh, with the Max no. fights oh, and the Ayer fights. So, uh, yeah, I was just wondering what you think about Arnold's chances for this weekend. He's hella strong. He is uh, bricked up. But uh, Cater's not one to go away easily. So, yeah, please give us your thoughts on this matchup. And uh, thank you for letting me start this morning. Cheers. Thank you very much. This fight rules. And we talked about this a lot on BTL yesterday. I'm like, I'm in on the Volkanovsky Makachev fight. Like, I'm totally in. I was kind of in heading into UFC 280. But after the way the fight ended and the post-fight stuff, like the face-off and everything, I'm totally in. The more I break that matchup down, I'm even more in as the days go by. But the one downfall to Volk making the move up is that this fight between Cater and Allen, as great as it is, the stakes are very minimal now. Now Volk was sticking around and was like, I'm going to defend the featherweight title in Perth. Someone please step up. Then this fight becomes more interesting in a lot of ways because no one has emerged in this division. And maybe one of these two guys could do it, but unfortunately what they're fighting for is like the number four or five spot in the division. And I'm not taking away from the fight itself because the fight is friggin' awesome. The way I see it is this is a pick'em. This is a 50-50 fight. I think there are things that Arnold Allen does offensively that are going to serve him very well in this fight. But there are things Calvin Cater does offensively, that could stifle a lot of the stuff that Arnold Allen does. When Cater gets in close, when he starts landing those elbows, man, I don't care who you are, you got to get hit with those. The one thing that leans me to Cater is the extra two rounds. 
because I, like Arnold Allen has never just completely gassed in a fight. But if you go back and watch the Sadiq Youssef fight, he does fade a little bit. He does start to slow down. And Calvin doesn't. Calvin Cater took like 500 legitimate punches to his face against Max Holloway. He was rocked. He was hurt many times. He just kept getting hit over and over and over again. But the man kept coming forward. That's a scary dude. Giga Chikaze was hitting him with some big shots. And Calvin just kept coming. And he just breaks dudes with that pace. I'd like to see Calvin be a little more aggressive. He was very aggressive in the Giga fight. I still think he beat Josh Emmett. But again, Calvin didn't... Calvin did enough to like not really lose, but he didn't do enough to sway the judges offensively. So I expect Cal to be a little more aggressive here. I am picking Cater to win a decision. If this is a three-round fight, I would look at it differently. I would lean more towards Allen, but if you're, if you're giving me... Let me look at the betting odds here because I know when it opened, I mean, it has changed drastically. I think C- Cater opened at like a minus 140 or something. Uh, what is it at now? It's, it actually got closer. Allen was a favorite yesterday and now Allen's still a favorite, but it's a pick em. This is what the, this is what I would have the line at. Arnold Allen minus 115, Calvin Cater minus 105. That's, that's how I'd have it. But honestly, these two guys are great. This fight's going to be spectacular, but I honestly think that if Calvin can win one of the first three rounds, it's his fight to lose. Cause I think he wins the final two. And I just don't – and Arnold can crack, man. This dude can crack. I just don't know if he can put Calvin away. I don't know if anybody can. I don't know if anybody can finish this guy, especially standing with strikes. If Max couldn't do it, I don't know if anybody could do it. So I will lean Cater by decision, but I am not confident in that pick. This fight is spectacular. And I just wish that there were big stakes for such a cool fight like this, but there just isn't right now. There just isn't. Let's go to Jacob. Hey, Mike. Uh, long-time listener, first-time caller. Um, after Welcome. the events of UFC 280, the bantamweight division got really interesting with matchmaking. So, obviously, you have the Aljamain Sterling-Henry Cejudo fight that's reported or planned. But the fighter that's most interesting to me is my favorite bantamweight, Corey Sanhagen. So who would you match up Corey with in the bantamweight division? And then another quick question is, the last time the UFC... Excuse me. last time the UFC had an event in Detroit was in 2017. I wasn't even a UFC or an MMA fan at the time. So have you heard anything about the UFC scheduling any events in either Michigan or the Midwest? Uh, Thank you for having me, and have a heck of a morning. Thanks, man. As far as Michigan goes, I have no idea. The one, ci- the one city in America that I know Dana and the UFC want to go to is Boston. They want to get back to Boston. And they, they were very close to getting back there this year. That San Diego card was supposed to be UFC Boston. And then when they announced the Dominic Cruz, Marlon Veramain events, they changed the entire course of the schedule and they moved it to San Diego, which made sense because of the two guys fighting. But 
Cruz also has ties to Boston because that's where he regains the Bantamweight title against TJ Dillashaw. So they want to get back to Boston. So that one, I know they're going to try to get done. The others, I just have no clue because I don't know what they're going to do as far as how often they're going to have events in the apex. Like, I don't know what they're planning for 2023. We're already looking at what the pay-per-view schedule is going to look like. We're in, it were international for at least the first two. We're in Rio in January, Perth in February. They're going to go to London either in March or April. Maybe they'll do two, pay- two pay-per-views in March. Looks like March 4th is going to be in Vegas. That's what I'm hearing. That's what other people are reporting as well. That could be where they do Nganu Jones if everybody's on board and they can re-sign Francis. I know Bo Nickel and Jamie Pickett are slated to fight March 4th on that card. They could do London that same month, a little bit later. Or they could do London in April, but... I mean, it's just a lot of international flavor for these pay-per-views to start off. So I don't know what they're thinking as far as travel, the apex. Like, I don't know what they're going to do. Um, I haven't heard anything about Michigan, but that doesn't mean it's not happening. It's just everything's kind of up in the air right now. As far as the Bantamweight division goes, I've talked about this ad nauseum at this point. I'm, I'm, not, I, I'm still not accepting this Henry Cejudo thing. I, I'm still not into it. And even if they book it, I'm still not going to believe it until Henry's in that cage and Alger's in that cage and Buffer introduces him and the referee starts the fight. So if I had the book, because you want to talk about Corey Sanhagen, what I would do is Aljamain Sterling versus Sean O'Malley. That's what I would do. You built to this point. You may not get another shot at it. So just do the thing and make that fight because it's right there. It's the biggest fight in the division right now. So just do it. And Aljo, God, man, I don't want to sit here and make this the rain on Aljo parade, but come on, man. Like, you got to go all in on Sean O'Malley. Stop with the Cejudo stuff. Stop with the Cheeto Dorito awful banter. Just stop it. Just go for O'Malley. This is, this is prize fighting, man. Like, this is the prize. It's not Cejudo. It's O'Malley. You'll make the most money with O'Malley. It's the most winnable fight for you. He'll probably beat O'Malley. And then he can do whatever he wants. Then the, the world is his oyster. If he wants to go to 145 and let Marab go for the belt, like, that's your chance. Go make that bag and go. Like, the timing's perfect for you to do this. So that's how I would do it. Cejudo just, again, I don't think he's fighting anybody. Unless it's a title shot. And I just don't agree with him getting a title fight right now. I would love, the fight I've been clamoring for is Cejudo versus... Cheeto Vera, but that's not going to happen. So, so if they do what I want them to do, then I would do Cheeto versus Sanhagen. That's the fight I would do. What's probably going to happen, it's going to just annoy me to no end, is they're going to do the Cejudo fight, or at least book it. They'll do Vera versus O'Malley, which is a great fight. It's huge. It's a big storyline. Which, And then the unfortunate thing for Sanhagen is that he's going to have to fight Marab, and that just ain't fun for anybody. So. Yeah, he's in an interesting spot, but what he needs, what Sanhagen needs is for the UFC to do the right thing, and they need Aljamain Sterling to do the right thing and just call for Sean O'Malley over and over and over again. You just tweeting at O'Malley with a bunch of eyeball emojis is not going to do it. When you're doing these interviews, when Ariel Hawani, when you were on the biggest MMA show in the world, and Ariel says, if you had your preference, who would you pick? And you say, I don't care. That's wrong. 
You need to say, I want to fight Sean O'Malley. This guy gave Piotr Jan the business. I don't know if I scored it for him or not. It doesn't matter. That's the biggest fight for him right now. And if Cejudo fights anybody else and wins, then that changes. But if he goes out there and beats Sean O'Malley, which he probably will, then he could do whatever he wants. He could call out Cejudo. He can go to 45. He could do whatever he wants. But go get that bag, man. Go beat Sean O'Malley. This is the time. You may not ever get this chance again. Because if Sean O'Malley fights Marlon Vera, I'm picking Marlon to win. That's a tough fight for Sean. We've seen it before. I mean, we didn't get the full thing, but Marlon's on a roll right now. Why risk it when you have Sean right there? Like, you've been building towards this the whole time he's been in the UFC, and now he's right there, and you're going to not give him the title fight? I don't, I don't understand it. I don't get it. So if I'm Sanhagen, I'm hoping they book O'Malley so he gets the Cheeto fight. If not, he's going to fight Marab, and that sucks for him. Let's go to Toke. Hello, Toke. <laughs> hey, Mike. Um, so I was going to be a dick and say that – sorry, I don't know if I can swear. Um, you can swear. Okay. Uh, I, I wasn't going to go in here and say that um, – or I was going to say that iced coffee is trash, and then that would be my whole thing, but no, nah, I'm just going to leave that. Uh, because I, we were supposed to see an Olympian on this card this weekend, but he's been moved to next weekend. And I just want to hear a few thoughts, about, uh, if you if you will, uh, about uh, Marco Madsen versus Grant Dawson. Because for, to me, this seems like a matchup that is even worse for Mark Madsen than the Drakkar Close fight already was. Uh, probably, to me, this is where the... Olympian experience and uh, at least with him being winless. Uh, uh, I can't talk. Uh, without him, I think he's going to not be undefeated anymore uh, because this seems like a horrible matchup with him and Grant Dawson on a short camp as well uh, or short preparation for him. So I, I just want a few thoughts on that if you, if you have the time. See ya. Yes, so Mark Madsen was supposed to fight Drakkar Close on this card, uh, which, by the way, from a storyline perspective, is the more in interesting fight because there's heat between these two guys. They don't like each other. Drakkar, it's not really a war with Mark Madsen. It's a war with, with their gym. It's the war with Eddie Cha and that team. And Mark Madsen just happens to be one of the dudes who trains there. So... When they booked this fight, I was like, hell yeah. I mean, Drakkar is going to talk all sorts of smack about that team. And he was going to, and then he got hurt. And now Grant Dawson steps in. Now, from what I was told, the original plan was they were going to try to get Grant in for that for this Saturday. But Grant's a friggin' monster. He's a very big guy. And there's just no way he was going to make 155 October 29th. So they pushed it back a week. Grant's been looking for a fight. If you watch BTL, Grant literally ran down all the names of the fighters who said no to him. And there are a lot of them. A lot of them are ranked. Guys like RDA, guys like Gregor Gillespie, Isma Gulov, at least according to Grant. So, yeah, this is a much tougher stylistic matchup. Grant's tough, man. This guy, this guy's a problem. I've been talking about this dude for years. Before he was in the UFC, when he was fighting for like Titan FC and victory, before he's on the Contender Series, if you followed my career, Grant was on my podcast many, many times as like a 19, 20-year-old kid 
on the come up and he's had the same mentality the entire time. Once I get to the UFC year one, I'm going to go undefeated year two. I'm going to be in the top 15 year three. I'm going to be in the top five year four. I'm going to be a champion. He's had some hurdles along the way. Dealt with some USADA stuff that took a long time, but eventually got cleared after his contender series fight. He had some weight issues at 145 because he's just so he's just such a massive guy. It's an interesting matchup. Grant's just a freak on top, man. Like Mark's a great wrestler and he can get really grimy. But even that Vince Pichel fight, like Vince showed holes. Vince showed that there's holes in this guy's game. And Grant's not a guy you really want to mess with on the ground. So Mark can win, but I think this is Grant Dawson's fight to lose. I don't know how the short camp's going to affect Grant at all, but from what I understand, he's been at ATT just getting after it, cornering dudes. I mean, he's training with Bob Zarvloyev and, and all these monsters. Like, the dude is, dude is getting work in. So I totally agree with you. This is a way tougher matchup. No disrespect to Jakar Close, but this is just more from a stylistic perspective. Like, Jakar... Gives Matson a lot of problems on the feet, but Grant gives Matson things to think about everywhere. And if Grant gets on top of him and gets takedowns on him, boy, it's gonna be a it could be a very very long night for him. But it's gonna be a real grimy fight. I'm I'm fascinated by it. I can't wait to see it. It's a great fight. It's going down next Saturday. But yes, I agree. This is a much tougher much tougher matchup stylistically. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S., and visit bellator.com slash watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Bay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. Double A, what's up? Good. Um, sure, I nearly forgot my questions. Um, to, just two for you. Um, out of all all the long list of fights coming up, you got any sleepers for us? And two, um, I'm looking at this round tree, Dustin Jacoby matchup, and I don't think it's going to go the distance. I just want to know if you agree with me on that. Okay. Have a good day, Mike. Everyone else, have a good day too. You guys are awesome. Peace. Thank you. Um, I mean, the one that stands out that, I mean, it's going to fly under the radar by the time it happens. Is the where is it? It's in December, right? Whenever Arban Sarukian fights Demir's Magulov, like that's the one. That's that's the one. One hundred percent. That's the one I have my eye on. I am very interested in Dominic Reyes's return. I feel like nobody's talking about that. He's been out for a while since the the knockout to Yuri Prohashka. Now he's fighting Ryan Spann, MSG. That's coming up real quick. I, I, Neil Magny, D-Rod, that's next week. Julio Arce is fighting Montel Jackson. 
at MSG. That fight's ridiculous. And like, I didn't even know it was happening until I just looked up the card. I was like, oh my God, this fight's happening on this card? Montel Jackson is a guy that, I mean, if you listen on to the next one, I mean, that's another guy I've been so high on. He just doesn't fight. He's just so inactive that like when he gets cooking, we just don't see enough of him. But he's just so good. If you're a newer fan, you don't know who this guy is. He is a freak. He is a monster at 135. He has his fists are like he needs like triple XL gloves on his hands. That's how big this dude's mitts are. I mean, he's just a he's just a monster. But that fight's gonna be a lot of fun for sure. So I, I like those fights a hundred percent. But there's there, there's obviously more. If you if you look deep on all these cards, they're there. Cleo Roundtree, Dustin Jacoby is another one that's flying under the radar. If you listen to No Bets Bard, which is the gambling podcast with Jed Mishu and Connor Burks, Dustin Jacoby minus 175, Cleo Roundtree plus 150. Cleo Roundtree has been one of the most frustrating fighters in the on the UFC roster. I mean, tremendous human being. The depth of this guy is just super interesting, but he's so hit or miss. Like, every time you get excited about Khalil Roundtree, he, like, lays an egg the next fight. And it's just so frustrating to watch. And Dustin Jacoby, this just resurgence in this second go in the UFC has been incredible. I think he's 6-0-1 in his seven fights. But the stat that Jed pulled up is when Khalil Roundtree fights glory kickboxing veterans... Khalil Roundtree is 2-0, two knockouts, two performance bonuses. So maybe it's just something about fighting decorated kickboxers that just gets this dude up. It's an interesting fight, man. Like, I don't think it's good. I'll say this. If it doesn't go the distance, that means Khalil Roundtree just knocked out Dustin, Dustin Jacoby. If it does go the distance, that means Dustin Jacoby wins and he wrestles a lot. Like, Dustin's going to stand and do fine. But Khalil is just a murderer on the feet. It's almost tough. Like when Khalil's on, it's almost hard to watch because he's just so violent in there. Just such vicious intent. And then you hear him at the post-fight interview after he just nearly murdered a man. And you just hear like what a nice soul he is. And you just, you can't believe it's the same guy. But I don't think a lot of people are giving Jacoby enough credit for his well-roundedness, because he could wrestle. Jacoby's Jacoby can wrestle. He's known for the kickboxing, but he can wrestle too. He can stifle you with that. So I think if Jacoby can get this fight to the ground at any point, he's going to be okay. But real interesting fight. I'm excited to see Carlos Mota make his UFC debut as well. Minus 170 favorite on a fight he's stepping in on in like a week's notice against Cody Durden. Let's go to the four-ounce sniper. Four-ounce sniper, are you there? You got to unmute. All right. Try again. Let's go to Zeke. What's up, Zeke? I'm like the glue guy, the glove guy. I love this. Hopefully the mic is working. Can you hear me? Yep, you're good, Let's man. Go you're coming good. out of the bullpen, uh, ready to rock for you. I got two things. Uh, I'm not too sure if you're gonna like this first take, but I gotta get it out. You know, I'm that ignorant uh, 
that ignorant young MMA fan. Uh, short guy, short guy, Alexander Volkanovsky. Uh, I don't think he can defend a takedown. Uh, I think we watched Chad Mendez take him down early in his UFC career. I think he also has, uh, I think he also has like a, what is it, uh, rugby background. I'm not too sure if he has like a real wrestling background. I'm pretty sure Islam and Khabib are wrestling bears in the youth. Like, I don't know. I, I think great, great money, going to bring in a lot of money. I see this fight being less competitive than Charles. Maybe that's an ignorant take to me, but talk me off that ledge. And we talked about Arnold Allen and Calvin Cater. I want your exact prediction. Do we see the cards? Do we not see the cards? Do we get a knockout? Have a heck of a week, Mike. Uh, as I said earlier, Cater by decision is my pick, but I'm not fully confident. In it. The co- I'm confident the fight's going five rounds. Like, we're not getting a finish in this fight. I don't think this. I don't think we're getting a finish. But I'm picking Cater by decision. It's probably going to be a splitty. It's going to be a close fight. But again, I think those extra two rounds are going to help Cater more than it helps Arnold Allen. I mean, we're going back to the Chad Mendez fight. That was four years ago. And what happened when Chad Mendez took him down? He got up. He got up. And that's the thing about Volk is you might be able to take him down, but he's very hard to keep on the ground. He also hasn't fought his on Makachev. And you bring up the rugby background. It is interesting because like people like to it's it's like a cliche with Volkanovsky at this point. Oh, he was a rugby player, he was 220 pounds or whatever the hell he was. But that's true. Like this dude's been mixing it up with bears, like not literally, but like human bears basically his entire athletic life. So him rolling around with Islam Makachev is nothing new to him. Now, Makachev obviously brings a much different style to the table than he is accustomed to. And Volk seems very confident. He's like, look, he's going to get me down. I know that, but I'm going to get back up. And what's he going to do when I, when I get back up? And that's an interesting question. And I don't believe, I, I, I disagree with you. I do think stylistically, even though Makachev is, is, a, is a bigger guy, I do think this fight on paper is more competitive than the Charles Oliveira fight. On paper, the Charles Oliveira fight wasn't supposed to be competitive. It was even when I picked Charles, it was it was just solely a I got I can't pick against this guy anymore. I need to see somebody beat him and then I will believe he can be beaten. Cuz what he did prior to that just didn't make sense. But everything on paper from a stylistic perspective told me and a lot of other people, Islam's going to win this fight. He's going to win it dominantly. But we've played this game with Oliver many times in the past. So I believe, I, I, I think Makachev will still win, but Volk does bring up interesting questions. The quickness. I just can't wait to see the game plans from both of these guys because they're just so smart. The, the game plans from the coaching staffs and just the in-cage fight IQ, Volkanovsky's ability to make adjustments mid-fight, like at the snap of a finger, like these are, these are things that I'm looking forward to. Now, there's a very real world where Makachev just takes him down and smushes him and taps him in the first round. I don't think that happens. But if, let's just say like Volk's down two rounds and it's just not going well. His ability to adjust within a fight no one does it better than him in the sport. Nobody does. So I'm, I'm interested in it. 
I'm picking Makachev to win as of right now. I'm probably going to still stick with that by February, but I am intrigued in a lot of ways. I will say that. Let's go to my man, Brett. Let's go to Boston. What's up? I'm good. Good, good, good. Hey, uh, I was just thinking about this fight. I don't know if they could make it happen, but I think it would be a monster fight. Is you were talking about Bilal Muhammad wanting to call out uh, Cosma, you know, and he, that would be the thing. How about like a Robert Whitaker type of fight, a type of, type of setup there at like 185 or something? I think that would just be like a phenomenal, phenomenal fight. And then you would know if he has the ability, Bilal, to uh, take it to that next level because Whitaker. He's the man, you know, up there. He might not be one, but he's around two, three, four. He's in there, and it would be a great matchup. And I was wondering if there's any traction to uh, Justin Gaethje and Fazave. Uh, now that uh, Gaethje says getting healthy and, and stuff. So I was really wondering that. And my last question is, uh, is John Jones really waiting for a, a matchup with Stipe to actually uh, come together for December? Because... That doesn't seem very logical. Uh, I think it's more likely that we're going to see him in Nagano in uh, in March. Uh, I just wanted to get your take on all that, but uh, have a heck of a weekend, brother. I love you, kid. Thanks, man. Yeah, he John wants that fight. I mean, look, he hasn't fought in I – mean, we're, we're sniffing three years since John Jones has last fought. And John ain't running a Fortune 500 company. So – if he can get the opportunity, like in John's eyes, this all makes sense. You get a massive fight with Stipe to headline a pay-per-view. Then you could turn back around and fight Francis Ngannou if you win. And it's just, a, it's just a gigantic fight. I mean, he's getting two massive bags if this, is, if this comes together. And he beats Stipe. Now, my issue with the fight is that Stipe is good and Stipe could win. And then it all falls apart. At this point, like if they book this fight... Because, I mean, we've been talking about John Jones versus Stipe since the January card. Since nine, for nine months, we've been talking about this. Since Ngannou got hurt, had his issues with the UFC, we've been talking about Jones versus Stipe, interim title, maybe they strip Francis, what have you. There was talks maybe in June, July, we're talking about it. John Jones saying September for that September 10th card, never came together. And now, when we're like three months away, like three months later, we can get John versus Francis. We're going to do the Stipe fight then? Like, I just don't understand. I don't love it. I just think it's so risky. But if they do it, I mean, of course we're going to watch it and it's going to be a very big deal. But you could do the same thing. Like when we were on BTL two weeks ago or last week, Brian Campbell was like, look, I get where you're coming from with the whole Stipe argument, but what if they just pulled Tai Tuivasa from the Sergei Pavlovich fight and you did John Jones versus Tai Tuivasa? Like, I'm cool with that. Because Ty's a, lo- a likable guy. He gets himself a nice, fat, big bag of money, too. He's probably going to lose the fight, but you're also losing to John freaking Jones, the guy widely considered to be the greatest fighter of all time. So I don't hate that idea. But again, you're, anytime you put John in there, it's a little risky when we're so close to getting the Francis fight. So, But if they book it, who the hell knows? Gaethje Fazeev, we've talked about this on the show. There were reports that came out that it was being finalized for December 10th. That wasn't true. There's no truth to that whatsoever. There were like preliminary talks about maybe making that fight happen, but it just couldn't. 
And Gaethje told me, I, I asked him if that fight was on the table, and he said no. It was never brought to his attention because he wasn't fighting this year. Could it happen in 2023? Sure. But he's sort of laid down the groundwork of what he wants. He said the loser of the title fight, the winner or loser of Chandler Poirier, that's what he's looking at. And if he can't get either of those guys, I think Fazeev makes a ton of sense. He also said he'd like to fight on that London card. And I don't think anybody in the UK is going to complain if they get Justin Gaethje on that card against Fazeev or anybody else. So we'll see what happens with that one. I would say just based on what Gaethje said, because he ain't, he ain't a dude that just pulls punches, like literally, literally and figuratively. I would say he's not overly interested in that fight right now. But if he can't get either of those other guys, then I think he would take Fazeev. I don't know if he'd go any lower than that, but that fight would be insane. And then the Bilal-Whitaker thing, I mean, it's an interesting idea, but it would never happen. And I think Whitaker would be a gigantic favor in that fight. Like, I'm not, again, I'm not trying to dog Bilal, but Whitaker win. Whitaker's just so good. He's so good. Whitaker is a more likable middleweight version of Colby, where in a world that doesn't involve Israel Adesanya, Whitaker's the middleweight champion and probably a long reigning one. And he's booked as of right now against Paulo Costa. This is a UFC announcement, although Paulo Costa went on Twitter yesterday and said it wasn't all done. But by all accounts, Robert Whitaker's getting ready to fight Paulo Costa in February. So Bilal's in a good spot. He's in a much better spot now than he was at any point this year because he's got... He's got a chance to get two different fights. If the UFC can't get Colby on board to fight Hamzat, Bilal's going to get the next call. And if Colby is in, he's probably going to fight Gilbert Burns. So Bilal's in a, in a great spot right now because he certainly wasn't earlier this year when he made those awful call-outs and he had dominant wins, but they weren't ones that we're going to go back and watch again. The Sean Brady fight was the one that everyone thought made the most sense, even though he was on that winning streak. So Bilal's in a good spot. So there we go. I mean, look, I mean, to be honored by this man's presence multiple times in a week is just amazing. New York Rick. Hello, Heck of sir. a morning, Mike. <clears throat> the pleasure is all mine. Thanks for having me. A bit of a random one this morning. Uh, we're, we're slowly, but maybe quickly, not sure how it feels to you, uh, approaching the end of Frankie Edgar's MMA career. We're, we're creeping up on it. And I was just curious. I was thinking about how will you remember Frankie Edgar personally? My, to, to give my two cents on it, I think he's one of the most underappreciated, underrated uh, MMA fighters who's ever lived. The things he was able to do at the time as, let's you know, be frank about it, uh, no pun intended, a bantamweight or a featherweight competing with the very best of the best at lightweight um, is something that now would probably be much more greatly appreciated. He could have been somebody who'd been going up and down for multiple belts, in my opinion. Um, if that had been a thing at the time. Um, so, yeah, I'm curious what you think about Frank Yeager, favorite moments or anything like that as we approach the end of his career, uh, because I think he deserves uh, some flowers. Well said. I completely agree with you. Frankie Edgar is underappreciated in history, and let's just, let's just be honest. The judges have not been kind to Frankie Edgar over the years. Because he had those two fights with Benson Henderson. 
The first fight was close, but I've gone back and since watched that fight, and I thought Frankie won the first fight. I went back and watched the second fight at UFC 150, and, I mean, there is just not a world where Frankie didn't win. So he should have two wins over Benson Henderson. His title reign should have lasted longer than it did, but that's neither here nor there. I always enjoyed watching this guy fight. I remember the first time I, I watched his UFC debut, UFC 67, because I remember I was super high on Tyson Griffin. I remember everyone was talking about like the main adventures and stuff. I was like, man, Tyson Griffin's fighting on this card. Sweet. And he goes out there and just pieces up Tyson Griffin, beats him, wins a unanimous decision, takes the O away from him. Then he takes the O from Bocek, had the fight with Spencer Fisher. On and on we go. But I will say my favorite Frankie Edgar moment was UFC 112. I talk about like betting lines and stuff like that. And I like to go to betting lines often because it helps me sort of gauge where I perceive value when I like break down fights. It's just like an added wrinkle to it. The only, the only MMA bet that I've ever made was... Frankie Edgar challenging BJ Penn at one, UFC 112. He was a plus six. He was like, a, I think he closed as plus 600 underdog at the line that I got it. And I made like a pretty decent wager on that one. And no matter how you score it, because I mentioned, <laughs> I mentioned Frankie being on the wrong side of history with the judging. BJ Penn was probably on the wrong side of history with this fight, but my bank account was not. Because Frankie Edgar got a unanimous decision on a fight that he probably should have lost. And I cashed the only MMA bet I have ever made. And thank you, Frankie Edgar. Thank you. Thank you, judges. Because you paid me that one. You paid me that time. But I mean, come on. I mean, this guy, even at the end of his run, even at the, even on this run that he's on right now, and even the fact that he's lost four out of his last five, he lost to Max freaking Holloway. But he didn't, like, he lost, but it was like a competitive fight. It was a competitive fight. The Korean zombie one broke a lot of hearts. I think that was sort of the, I think that was sort of the one where we're just like, all right, this, this guy is just, he's human after all. And we were starting to question, like, how much more this guy has in the tank. And that's 2019. Took that fight on short notice. No one really understood why. And then the results went the way that it did. Then he has that crazy fight with Pedro Munoz. This time he was on probably the right side of history. I remember at the time scoring it for Frankie Edgar against Pedro Munoz. But again, I think it was one of those fights that I was live blogging. And I've, I haven't gone back and watched it again, but I will. The Sanhagen fight was brutal. But the Marlon Vera fight, like, the ending was bad, and it left that image of Vera's foot kicking him in the face. But up until that point, like Frankie was very competitive in that fight, and I thought he was winning it. Even at that point, like Vera was starting to turn it on and take some momentum, but it's not like Vera just went out there and front kicked him in the face in a minute. Like he was competitive against a guy who a lot. There are people who feel like he should be fighting for the title right now. So the. I mean, there's a lot of great memories from Frankie Edgar. I think hopefully he's a guy that we look at more in like a Demetrius Johnson lens, maybe like a Daniel Cormier lens where the law, like when his career wraps, we will appreciate what he brought to the table more than we are right now, if that makes sense. 
He's going to fight Chris Gutierrez. I don't know. Like, I don't love the matchmaking just because I don't think it does much for either guy. Like, even if Chris Gutierrez wins, I think it's, like, a good name to have on the resume. But I don't think it, like, just shoots him into the top. I mean, maybe it will because of how the UFC rankings work and stuff. But, like, I don't consider Frankie Edgar a top 15 Bantamweight right now. Chris, I, like, I have Chris Gutierrez ranked higher than Frankie Edgar in my personal rankings. But that's just me. I don't know. We'll see. It's a competitive fight. I'll, I'll say that. It's a fight that Frankie could win. What are, the, what are the betting lines on that one right now? I'm curious. Uh, where are we at? Where are we at? Where are we at? Frankie Edgar. Chris Gutierrez minus 205. Come back on Frankie is plus 175. Okay. We'll see what happens. But I think Frankie's career is going to age like a fine wine. I think we go back and he gets the Hall of Fame induction all that we start to, especially the newer fans, when you go back and look at the early body of work of Frankie Edgar and what this guy did. And I mean, it, what an incredible career, what an incredible career. And he should get his flowers and I, hopefully he does at MSG. What up four ounce sniper. Do we have, you hey, can you hear me, Mike? Yeah, I got you. Hey, I just wanted to ask a quick question on the main event this weekend. Um, why do you think Arnold Allen is the favorite? Because I, I would say Calvin Caver should be like a minus one twenty, minus thirty, one thirty favorite. Um, I just wanted to get your quick thoughts on that, and that's yep, it. Thanks, man. Um, I think part of it is maybe trajectory. I mean, Allen has won nine all nine of his UFC fights. Dude's on a tear. He's coming off the best performance of his career. He was the dog to start here. Like when this line opened, he was the dog. And I just think people saw value in that. And people just started loading up on him this week. And I think a point that Arnold made kind of stuck in a lot of people's minds is that, listen, Calvin's a great fighter and he does great things, but the dude ain't a brand new car. He's, he's been around. He's got mileage on him. Like he's an F-150. But... And it runs really well, but that thing's got 200,000 miles on it. And eventually, as good as it runs, eventually it's going to break down. Once you hit that 200,000 mark, things start to rattle around a little. Things start to leak a little. And maybe that's how he feels Calvin Cater is right now. Calvin is not a spring chicken. He's been doing this for a long time. And, I mean, it's a youth thing. It's a, it's a youth thing. Calvin Cater is 34. He'll be 35 in March. He does have a lot of fight miles on him. No doubt about that. And Arnold Allen is 28 on an 11 fight win streak. So it's a pick em fight. Like it is a pick em fight to me. This is a 50 50 fight. If this is a three round fight, I'm probably picking Arnold Allen, but not confidently. And now that it's a five round fight, I'm picking Cater by decision. But no, no result would surprise me. Outside of a fi- outside of Arnold Allen finishing Calvin Cater, that would that would stun me just because no one can finish. This guy's a zombie. No one finishes this guy. So, yeah, but the line's kind of where it, the line's kind of right right now. I mean, it's basically a, a coin flip. Arnold Allen minus one fifteen, Calvin Cater minus one hundred five. Like the lines have shifted even in the last two days because I, I think Allen got up to like a a minus one forty, but now things are coming back to the Cater side. So. Whatever the betting lines were, this is what you put betting lines out for. 
because you're getting action on both sides. You got a lot of action on Allen early. Now you're getting a, a lot of action on Cater heading into Saturday. This will be lines pretty much where it is probably by the time we get to the fight. So I can't wait to see it. I just, again, like I said at the beginning, love the fact that folks going up and fighting Islam, I'm in. But the one issue with that is that this fight, while it's great and while it's important, the stakes aren't as high as they could be if Volk was just like, nah, I'll wait. I need an opponent for 145 in Perth. I'm going to defend my featherweight title. Someone step up and do something. This fight means a lot more than it does from a meritocratic standpoint. But I still can't wait to see it. Let's go to Crypto. Hello, Crypto. I'm good. How are you? Good. Good. Thank you. Um, two quick questions. So uh, you mentioned this uh, in the beginning of the program. What do you think the actual probability is that Anderson Silva will engage in this whole union uh, debate if he loses uh, based on that? Do you think that he will do it or is it just basically to sell the fight? Uh, I understand that we don't know how successful it will be, but I'm, I'm just questioning if he will do it at all. Um, so your thoughts on that. And second thing is, let's say that Cater wins uh, tomorrow. Um, where do we go with Cater in that case? Because, I mean, Yair says he is sitting out, right? So he doesn't want to fight until he gets a title shot. And then we have Josh Emmett in the mix. So if Cater wins... And no matter how we feel about the decision, uh, because I, I didn't personally, I didn't think Josh Emmett won that fight, but it doesn't matter. He won on paper, so he's the winner. So where do we go with Cater if he beats Brendan Allen? Let's say he even does it convincingly. Uh, what do we do with him in that case? Thank you, Mike. That, man. It's a really tough question. It's a really tough question. Because Calvin Cater, like Calvin Cater, is one of those guys that the UFC views as as like an MVP to them, and it's not because he's this big drawing power guy, and it's not that he's this superstar or anything. But Calvin just doesn't give a shit. You tell him to fight anybody, and he'll just say yes, I'll fight him. Because this fight came together pretty quickly. Like this isn't something that was booked in like July. This was booked like early September, late August. Like I, we talked about, we talked about it on the show. Cause I ran through the timeline of how this all came together because before it got reported, like for the entire week, I was told that this is the, the road they were going to take, but it just wasn't done. It was just the whole thing of, I know both guys from what I understood, both guys wanted this fight in like November. Give us a few extra weeks to get ready because this is not a ton of time. So, but eventually, I think Arnold Lounge was just like, listen, I got to fight. Like, I haven't fought twice in a year in a long time. I'm really not in a position to just turn down a main event. And Cater's just like, all right, cool, I'll go. And that's what Cater does. So it, it's tough to say because if Cater wins this fight and, like, Bryce Mitchell or Ilya Taporia, like, have a great performance – like, they could just call Calvin and be like, hey, fight one of these two dudes. They'd be like, okay, I'll fight him. So, I don't know. And, again, that's what makes this Volk move. That's the one drawback to Volk going up is that – but it's also, like, 
a main reason why I don't mind the timing of this is because all Volk has wanted for two years is for someone to emerge, and no one has. Nobody has. The only one who has emerged since Volk was like, show me something, is Max Holloway. Holloway beat Calvin Cater. Then he goes and beats Yair. And even when they book the Yair fight, they're like, what is, what is Max doing? Like, he should just go fight at Volkanovski for the title. And, Vol- and Holloway's like, nah, this is a fun fight. I'll just fight this dude. And he did, and the fight ruled, and then he got his title shot, and we saw what happened. But no one has, like, no one has emerged since Volks won the title. Nobody. Like, Brian Ortega got a title shot, but he, he beat Korean Zombie. I don't think that win's going to age all that well. It was a great performance, but I don't think it's one we're going to go back and be like, wow. Ortega just happened to be the guy. And, like, he inched up into that spot, and then that was a great fight. At least the one of the rounds was incredible. But for the most part, Volk dominated Brian Ortega. That was a one-sided fight for the majority of it, except for that one sequence where Ortega was, like, so close to tapping him. Josh Emmett has a win over Calvin Cater, but no, not a lot of people believe that he won that fight. And Yair, he has the win over Brian, and, like, it was due to what he brought to the table, but it's still one that didn't leave a lasting taste in anybody's mouth. So I don't know. I I don't know what they're going to do. Maybe there's an interim title fight. I mean, Volk has been saying like, do an interim fight. I don't care. Do it. Let's see if someone can actually emerge. And I think if you do an interim title fight, like at least you have like a clear cut number one contender because they have a freaking title. At least, at least that means something, but I honestly don't know what they're going to do. Cause I don't know what's going on with Ortega's injury. Yair's probably not going to fight Cal. It doesn't seem like Yair will even fight Josh Emmett at this point. I don't know. I honestly have no idea what they're going to do. He's either going to have to fight backwards or... I don't know. Maybe they'll do an interim title fight. Maybe run it back with Emmett. I, have no, I literally have no clue what they're going to do next. I have no idea. Ah, oh, four-quarter sports. You got lucky. You got lucky. I was trying to tag in a hit, but you jumped in the spot. Here you go. Yeah. Hey, what's up, Mike? I literally just hopped on right now. Um, what were you guys talking about in the last segment? Because the first thing that was going to come to my mind I, was going to be the, a, a possible interim title fight. Because I was thinking about it last night, and I'm like, um, what's it called? If Volkanovski does fight, right, uh, Islam, how long do you think will be a layoff of him fighting at featherweight? You know, depending on how much damage he takes. But, and, um, uh, who would you know? Who would you favor? I mean, in this matchup over here between Allen and and Cater, and would Yair be a possible slot in for this? Um, for uh, maybe a potential, um, featherweight. What's it called? Um, what's it called? Interim title fight. And lastly, um, what's it called? A- any news for the? Uh, I lost you, man. Yeah, so the question we're talking about is, like, where if Cater goes out there and beats Arnold Allen, like, what's next? And the answer, basically, landscapers are here. Yay. Uh, the answer is I have no friggin' idea. And I don't know what they're going to do with the interim title. I don't know what Volk's going to do. Even Volk was saying he talked to uh, the fine folks at Submission Radio, and Volk said, hey, if I beat Islam, 
Tell Benil Dariush, no worries, man. I'm going to turn right back around and fight him. So now what? I, 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 I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do. But something tells me, like, if Volk wins the lightweight title and he can say all he wants that I'm going to go back and forth, he's probably going to have to vacate that the featherweight title. We got to move this division along. And if he's already talking about turning around and fighting Benil, yeah, it's kind of a tough spot. So, yeah, I don't know what we're going to do. It's, it's a mess. But it's honestly, like Volk said, I'll get to you in a minute to hit. Like Volk said, like people are saying, like, oh, Volk, you're holding up the division. And Volk had, like, a, the, the right comeback. I ain't holding up the division. The division's holding up the division. No one's doing anything. No one's doing anything. So, I mean, it's not, not you, you know what I mean by this. Like, no one has emerged as, like, a straight contender. And every time they try to book a fight, something weird happens, like the Yair win. And, you know, Josh Emmett beats Calvin Cater in a fight that most people thought he lost. Like, no one has emerged. It's just been bad luck in terms of getting an actual number one contender. So, I don't know. Maybe Volk just vacating the title. And, I don't know. It's weird because... Well, right now there's no true contender emerging and he's looking for a challenge. And there are some there now, but like two years from now, when Mitchell gets up there and Taporia gets up there and Avloyev gets up there and some of these other dudes that are just tearing it up right now, like he's going to have challenges. It just might not be right the second. So we'll see. It's a weird, it's a weird division. It's a weird division. All right, ahead. Welcome. Ahead. He's gone. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com slash watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Let's go to Botkins. Uh, my question here is, why does Yair think he's getting the title spot? Like, we haven't seen this guy fight for like twice in like three years, right? Like, he's out here just like, I'm going to hold for the title. Bro, you lost to Max Holloway after not fighting for two years, and then you had a fluky-ish kind of win over Ortega. And now you just think you're getting this title shot. That doesn't make much sense to me. Like, he needs to fight Emmett or maybe even the winner of this Arnold uh, Arnold Cater fight on Saturday. It's, it's very strange. Like, Yair, 
Yair's approach to the fight business is just very bizarre. I, I remember this guy was released. Remember the UFC, the UFC released him at one point because of the whole Zabit situation. And then he finds himself back in. He had the whole feud with Jeremy Stevens, what happened in Mexico, and then they fought in Boston, and then we hadn't really seen him since. Comes back. Holly fight was great. Like, I think his stock rose in that fight. And then the Ortega thing, you could say kind of fluky, but, I mean, what it was because of what Yair did. So I don't really – I get where you're coming from. Like, for, from the naked eye, it's like, oh, that's weird. But, again, in the long – in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't – it's not going to age great. You know what I mean? But you literally have the president of the company, the champion of the division, and everybody else saying, hey, Yair versus Josh Emmett, do the interim title fight. The champion is saying, do it. I'm telling you to do this fight. And Yair is like, no, I'll wait. This is like, it's like the opposite of Benil Darius. Like Benil Darius gets on a microphone and says, hey, I could be the number one contender, but I'll fight 10 more dudes. And Yair's like, I'm just not going to fight anybody unless it's Volkanovski. I don't care if I'm 112 years old. I'll wait. Both are wrong. Like, you could get a tight, like, you could fight for an interim title right now. All you have to do is call the UFC and say, I'll fight Josh for an interim belt. And they'll make that fight. They'll make it. You have the blessing of everybody. I, I just don't understand where he's coming from. And if we're going to talk about who's holding up the division, Yair is probably the, the biggest factor right now because he's not fighting anybody. And he's probably not going to fight Volkanovski either because we know how much the UFC loves guys who like to wait for title fights and not take matchups when they're offered. So I don't think this is going to go well for Yair. If I'm him, I'm just, I jump on this Emmett interim title opportunity if the UFC presents it to him. Otherwise, maybe Josh Emmett gets the Holloway fight. If that's what Max wants, I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do. This division is weird. But Yair is uh, not doing himself any favors. Terrence, hello. Hey, Mike. How are you doing? Happy Friday. Good. How are you? You too. Um, so I was watching um, Morning Comeback, like, preview game. And your own uh, Shaheen was on there, and as well as uh, Danny. Um, I forget his last name. But he used to work with Luke as well. Um, and they were talking about the people who are in attendance. Of course, Nate's in attendance. And then I found out that GSP was in attendance as well. I was wondering, they were talking about the possibility like, oh, um, is GSP there to fight? <clears throat> and as well as if he's wanting to like fight like Jake Paul and so forth. But what I was thinking is like, what if he's auditioning like if Anderson actually wins, he's going to step up and want to fight Anderson and we finally get something that we didn't get in MMA. How do you think that would go? Um, and then the last question I had was about, we're coming up on the end of the years and the end of the year awards are about to be happening. Um, like, for example, I still hold that Molly had the best knockout of the year. And I know she's in the conversation, but I doubt she wins because all the other male dominated um, knockouts that happen. Have you guys ever thought about separating like female versus male and like the different categories? I know you have like female fire year, things like that, but I feel like a lot of the females are overlooked because of the fact that there's so many more male fights in the organizations. That's it. That's all I got for you. I mean, I get, I get where you're coming from, but to, like, to me, there's a lot that factors into these awards. Like, obviously it's the aesthetics of the finish, but it's also the stakes that are involved. You know what I mean? Like Molly's knockout was 
was friggin' awesome. I mean, this this was a hell of a knockout. No doubt about it. It's it's gonna be on the list. It's gonna be on the list. But with all due respect, Luana Carolina is not Yuani and Jacek. Like I would actually rate Zhang Wei Li's knockout higher than Molly's because of the stakes involved, who she fought. I mean, it was a cool moment and it was a great knockout. I just feel like I don't feel like it's just going to be really tough. Like that Chandler one's going to be really tough to beat. I mean, Leon Edwards, I mean, with everything involved, just dude's minute away from losing the fight does the impossible in a lot of people's minds. I mean, that's, it's not a spinning back elbow, but just everything involved. It's just bigger. It's just a more memorable knockout at the end of the day. And that's just it. Like, and even if we did a women's, like, even if we did a straight women's one, like, I still don't know if Molly wins that one. Like, Zhang Wei Li landed a nasty spinning move, too, and retired Yoani and Jacek and got herself a title fight. Like, the stakes involved are way higher. This, is, this matchup was a Molly McCann essential squash match. And then she did the same kind of thing against Hannah Goldie, but again, same type of situation. So it's, it's tough. I get where you're coming from. Maybe that's something we'll discuss. I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon, but it in a vacuum with like everything involved, it's just Molly's going to have a tough time anyways. She was there for a minute. Ilya Tapori had the knockout of the year for like 25 minutes, didn't he? And then freaking <laughs> and then here comes Molly with her knockout and then Chandler lands his and then Leon lands his like like submission of the year is a weird one too because there's so many good ones, but to me, the one that was the most impactful was Yuri Prahashka, who did no one expected him to win by submission. And he was also a minute away from losing to Glover Teixeira, and then he submits him. Like, if we're remembering submissions at the end of the year, there are some cool ones, no doubt about it. We saw buggy chokes, we saw a submission that there's no official name for yet in Bellator. But the one we're going to remember is the Yuri one because he won the title. He was losing the fight. He was about to lose. And that fight was one of the most insane fights in the history of the sport. So there's a lot that goes into it. It's all personal preference too. There's probably somebody on our staff that thinks Molly's knockout was the best. And that's cool. You could also make a – like, and I even brought this on BTL that – you can make a case for Molly McCann if she beats Aaron Blanchfield to be the female fighter of the year. Like at least in the conversation, she'll be three and Oh, she finishes Aaron Blanchfield. Like that's, that's an impressive win. And no one's really emerged right now. Nunes has one win. Shevchenko has one win. And it was a close fight. Maybe Zhang Wei Li gets it. If she beats Carla and if Carla beats Zhang Wei Li, she's in there too. So, very strange, but I get where you're coming from. It's not, I, I'm not. I'm not totally against that idea, but I just think she would have lost. She might like Molly might lose that even if we did a separate division. Tristan, take us home, my man. Hey, Mike. Um, I want to talk about here about Armin Sarukian. Uh, again, his fight against Demir Ismagulov. It's a very important one because. You know, uh, we'll see how he how he uh, responds to his losses against Matus Gamrot. If he beats Demir, if he if you're him, 
you got to do you call the rematch for um Gurum and do another five round with him? I, because I, I, I'm looking at the rankings here. I'm I'm looking at the uh, MMA rankings, uh, MMA global rankings here, and he's tied. Armstrong is tied with RDA as number nine, and then Gamma is number eight, and he's coming off a loss. I don't. I don't see where Gamrock goes anyway. So if I'm Saruki, I'm calling for the rematch. I I would think. I, if I'm him, calling, I'm definitely calling for the rematch. Even though it's quick, but Gamrock's coming off a loss, and if Saruki beats Demir, that's huge. And be like, I want the rematch. Let's do it. Let's run it back. So I, I just want your thoughts on. on I mean, I think I think it's an important fight for Armin. He's got to win. He's got to figure out a way to win that fight. I mean, it's so tough because Demir is just. It's it's gonna be it's gonna be really really close, but Surukin's gonna have to do what he can to get the, to edge that win. But if he does, he's got he's got to call. I'm calling for the rematch. And then for Jalen Turner, I, I heard I forgot where you guys called. Probably he needs a veteran. I I I would want to see him against um, uh, Gudalaze. Uh, I think that would. I know Gudalaze's not ranked, and I, I feel like he should. Because I think I think he would be Grant Dawson. I know you have him ranked at fifteen. You know, I I would I would want to see Jalen Turner versus uh, Gudalaze, To be honest with you, so just your thoughts about that, Mike. Thanks. I don't agree with that at all. Uh, I love you, Tristan, but I don't agree with you. Jalen Turner's just on a tear right now. He just beat. He got into the race top ten. Just beat Brad Riddell, and then you're gonna have him fight Guram Kutatalaze. Not a fan of that. Not a fan. Um, Saruki one's interesting I don't think he's going to call for Gamrop because that fight does nothing for him all it does it's just an ego fight I and again I'm a broken record here but I've watched that fight more than any fight this year by far it's my favorite fight of the year like if I'm if I'm on the treadmill or I'm going for a run and like I need an extra boost I turn that fight on because it's that good it's not going to win fight of the year it's not going to be my vote for fight of the year, but it is my favorite fight of the year because it's so good. And I have not watched it once in like the 30 plus viewings where I thought Gamrot won. And not saying that it was a robbery or anything like that. I just felt Sarukian won. The Gamrot fight does nothing for him right now. It literally does nothing for him. If he wins and calls Gamrot back out, that's a bad call out because you're getting, there's no reward for beating him outside of just. See, I told you so. And then Gamrock could just be like, hey, we're 1-1. Let's do it again. And now you're tying these dudes up. If these two are going to fight again, it's going to be when the stakes are high, when they're both in the top five. And God, sign me the hell up for that. I have no idea what they're going to do. Hopefully, after this Chandler-Poirier fight, we can change up what this division means right now, because it's just the same dudes fighting each other. And it's frustrating to see guys like Fazeev, to see guys like Turner and Sarukian. And I mean, Gamrock got a big fight with Darius, but like none of these guys are going to move into the top five. Like none of them. It's just so annoying to watch. So if I, I mean, if I'm Sarukian, I'm calling for the loser Poirier Chandler. That's what I'm calling for. If he goes out there and beats his Bugulov, which I think he will. I think it's a good fight, and I think his Bugulov's really good. But I, I honestly, I'm telling you, I've been saying this for a long time. Armand Sarukian will wear the UFC lightweight title at some point. 
He's going to wear that title. He's only 25. Dude's got a long way to go. He will be the UFC lightweight champion. Trust me when I tell you this. But yeah, I don't I don't love the Gamrock call out. Unless it's later on. All right, ahead. Come on. Be, be a professional. There he is. How are you? Good, Mike. I'm good. Like, my Twitter freaking sucks. It's so annoying. When I say that, my, not my account, my tweets are awesome. My my app sucks. But anyway, um, the thing is, I'm, I'm hearing what you're saying, Mike, and it's like I'm convinced you have like a room dedicated to Armand Sarukian. Like you're just like a super fan at this point. But um, I wanted to come on yesterday to double down on things I s- said on Wednesday because I heard some stuff that rubbed me the wrong way. So I talked about Henry Cejudo and how you should jump into a title shot. And like people are like, oh, um, it's going to disrupt the division. He doesn't deserve this. He, he's going to like just jump back out. And it doesn't make sense to me because it's like, who deserves anything in MMA? People jump up divisions. They hold up entire divisions anyway. So how is this? This is nothing new. And the idea of someone coming back for a short period of time, that's nothing new as well. GSP came back and fought, in my opinion, respectfully, and I'm British, so I mean this respectfully, the weakest middleweight champion in Michael Bisping because he had one freaking eye and then he left. And it's like, well, none of us were surprised. And, and who else? Khabib. People are asking Khabib to come back and then go again after one fight. It, it makes no sense to me. So it's like, yeah, let's just welcome Henry Cejudo back. And I've said it before again, like if Alex wins or loses, and Henry will win against Aljamain because Alger has no chance, like that, that fight will be made. And who cares at this point? Um, because it'll, it's just entertainment at the end of the day. No, it's not like other sports where people deserve things. Uh, and people just get what they want. And about the um, like the USADA, I've said this before, I've said it again. Jeff Nowitzki, the bold guy, is an absolute moron. Uh, he's tested Yuri Prohaska 20-plus times, completely idiotic, and he's just left out all these people in Thailand who are clearly probably cheating. And about the Josh Thompson thing, because I wasn't on yesterday, I, 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 kind of, I kind of see in some respect where he comes from in the sense that MMA media, obviously it's not their job to promote specifically Bellator. That's obviously not true at all. It's not their job. But in the sense that they, they maybe should uh, promote more like uh, MMA from other promotions, like, you know, Bellator won championship, you know, seeing interviews with like AJ McKee, Patricio Bitbull, as soon as these announcements come out to like do service to MMA, as opposed to promoting stuff like, I don't know, that this like Jake Paul clown show. And I, I don't like, I don't hate Jake Paul. I think he's pretty funny, like as in, but I, I more and more just don't care. And even BKFC, I just feel like it's just a bit random, even though they've got Sanchai and Buakor, which is a lot of fun, but you get my point. Drop the mic, Mike. Man, where do I begin? Where do I start? I had, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start off with this. You have brought tremendous value to this program. I love you, man. I think you're great. But you were literally wrong about literally everything you just said. what you, were, you weren't correct once. Not once. First of all, and I don't know if you meant to do this, but I don't care. You, you did it. You just, into a live Twitter microphone, compared Henry Cejudo 
to GSP and Habib Nurmagomedov? What what are you smoking? What is what are you talking about? This is not the same thing. This is not even close to the same thing. So Hudo is not anywhere near the level of star of either of those two guys. And even the GSP thing. Trust me when I tell you this, because it's been talked about a million times. If the UFC could do that GSP thing over again, they wouldn't have done it. The only reason they did it is because GSP said, all right, I'll fight Robert Whitaker afterwards. And then GSP turned his back on the UFC and said no. So when there's any even thought about doing GSP versus Habib, when Habib called for it and wanted it, and GSP was talking about we would have won 55 and all that, that's why they didn't do it. Because they knew GSP would take the belt and leave. Which is why I am against the Henry Cejudo idea. And again, it's not because of merits. It's not because of what this guy has brought to the table. It's because he is unreliable. It's because I don't believe he's serious about doing this. I don't care that he's back in the pool. All I've asked of this man is to fight one time against anybody. I don't care who it is. Create a fictitious Cejudo title. I don't give a fuck. But just prove to me that you are serious and that you really want to be here. Because guess what? The division doesn't need him. If Henry Cejudo never fought again, the Bantamweight division is still going to be this incredible division. It ain't, the, it ain't lightweight, but it's damn close. They don't need him. Everybody moved on without him. They moved on from him the night he retired. They moved on. Dana White sat up at the press conference and said, you're done. We're going to give Piotr Jan a title shot. Three hours later, they were done with him. And now when this division, an entire year, has been built around building this division and trying to find contenders, we've did this little mini Grand Prix. We finally have someone at the top who has emerged, no matter how you score the fight, and it happens to be the most intriguing guy in the division. You want to skip everybody and give Cejudo a title shot in a fight that is cool on paper, but like long-term, does it mean anything? No, it means nothing. If he wins, what's he going to do? He's not going to defend the belt. He's going to vacate and go fight Volk. And if he beats Volk, he's going to retire again. So what are we doing here? All I ask is that he fights somebody else. I don't care who it is. He can go fight Jonathan Martinez. I don't care. Go fight Jonathan Martinez. Beat him. Go fight for the belt. Just prove to me you want to do this. That's all. The UFC doesn't want to get burnt. They don't want to get burnt by this guy again because guess what? They, he burnt them. He screwed them. He turned his back on them. Put them on this card. We're, we're saying, screw you, pandemic. None of the sports want to do things. I'll do it. We're going to put Cejudo in the spotlight. He goes out there. Gives, they give him a favorable matchup with Dominic Cruz, and he goes out there and finishes. And they're just about to build him up and put him in a position to be a star. What does he say? Nope. I'm done. I want Connor money. See ya. Terrible. Literally the worst retirement of all time. One of the worst in the history of sports it is definitely the worst combat sports retirement. It's awful. He has handled this all so badly. And it stinks because I do like him as a person, and he's a tremendous fighter. But the problem is he overshot his shot. His notion that he's a big star was so wrong. And if he never fought again, nobody cares.
it's not a knock. It's just the truth. So, no, I don't agree with you. He's not Habib. He's certainly not GSP. That makes no sense. Like, it just makes no sense. You don't need to do this. There's no need for it. Nobody is clamoring for this. There's not been, it's not trending on Twitter that we want Henry Cejudo back. No, the only one who has said anything about it is him. And I can't believe Dana brought his name up at the press conference. I can't believe it. And I can't believe Aljamain Sterling is entertaining this idea. I don't understand it at all. I don't get it. People shit on Colby all the time, but Colby's got the prize fighting thing down. And Aljo has the chance to just be a prize fighter, and he's not doing it. He's got to take this fight with Cejudo that will be cool. It'll be a co-main event. People will talk about it, but no one's really going to care. And then if he loses, like, it's all over. But if he goes to fight Sean O'Malley and beats him, it's a big win. He can do whatever he wants. Like, I, I just don't get it. I just don't get it. And don't even get me started on the Josh Thompson thing. I said everything I needed to say yesterday. But again, and I'm going to try to be a little calmer about this. What Josh Thompson did was not help. What Josh Thompson did the other day was he hurt the promotion of that card more than anything we could do. That's what he did. He hurt the promotion of that card worse than anything we could do. If I just said right now that I'm not covering it, Josh Thompson did more damage. Because when he put out that video or that clip, and I don't know, it might have been part of a longer episode. And I know if like Josh responds, he'd be like, well, you didn't listen to the whole episode. I don't care. I ain't going to go back and listen to the episode because I don't like the show. But the problem is you made a decision to clip that part out of it and put that up there. Now, if the previous five minutes were, oh my God, AJ McKee's fighting this dude or Patricia Pipple's fighting this dude. It's champion versus champion. And you show the accolades of both these guys. And you talk about putting these guys over first. And then you put a little clip about the MMA media thing. I don't have the same reaction that I had. But you chose to only put out that clip on your social media. And the only reason you did that is because you wanted Josh Thompson to go over. You made it. He went into business for himself. He went into business for himself. It was not about Bellator. It was not about the card. It was about how can I get people talking about me? That's exactly what he did. So no, I don't get where he's coming from because he made it about him. He broke the rule, Ahid. You don't make it about yourself. You may, if you really care about the card and about the fighters, the clip you should have put up is about the card and the fighters, not about the media covering it. Because guess what? We cover every Bellator. We're covering the Milan card tomorrow, and that card sucks. It's a bad card. It's the worst card of the day, and we're covering it. So don't, like, don't tell us how to do our jobs. The problem is, and this is a problem Bellator has had for the last couple of years, they, they just don't tell anybody that these things are happening. Like, I'm glad we had a press conference, and I'm glad we did all this stuff. The problem is with Bellator is they do, there's no middle ground. They either under-promote things or they over-promote things. And it's a good start to promoting this. Like, again, there was not one negative comment about this card. Everybody was in. They all thought it was great. But let me tell you this, and I hate throwing out numbers and clicks and all that shit, but I'm going to throw this one out there. After Josh Thompson's little clippy clip went out on social media, I went and looked 
at like the current numbers of MMAfighting.com? Like what are people looking at right now? And it lists on our chart the top – where are we at here? 26 things that people are currently looking at. Nowhere on the top 26 was that card on there. In fact, the scorecard from Sean O'Malley, Piotr Young, from Saturday, was ranked higher. It's not because we're not putting it out there and talking about it. It's that you got to get people on board. You got to do cool stuff. And I put Bellator over. The Long Beach card, listen, if I never see another video of the Liver King, it'll be too soon. Like, I don't need to see any more of the Liver King. I don't care. But the guy was trending. Everybody was talking about him. And what did Bellator do before that Long Beach card? They brought him out. They brought him out. They did something with him in Paulo Costa, which is also very smart. And then Patricky Pitbull was in there as well. It was smart. Like, you got eyeballs on your product in a very unique and compelling way. You took a guy that people are into at this current moment and you brought him in to get eyeballs on your card. That was brilliant. That was brilliant. Very smart. This is what you need to do. Things like this. It's not just about, like, I know you think it's, like, well, you're not promoting the card. Sure you are. Sure you are. You're getting people to be like, oh, what's this? Oh, why are they doing this? Oh, there's Bellator's got a card tomorrow? Oh, if they're doing this before the fight, I can't wait to watch the fights the next day. That was brilliant. And then with the Sabbath, like the I go back to the Sabatello Stotts promotion. That is one of the coolest fights of the year for them. They have built this thing up perfectly. Sabatello has done a tremendous job building himself up to the point he's at right now. And Stotts is a great foil for him and vice versa. And they did a great job getting them on the MMA hour. Go in studio. They're bantering back and forth. Ariel's going to separate them. Great stuff. I mean, tremendous stuff. And then what do they do? They have like eight more face-to-face interviews within a 72-hour stretch. Like, what are we doing? You had the best one already. It's not going to get any better. What are we doing? Why are you doing this again? And we're still three months away from the fight when this is all going on. Like, we just got to be better with promoting. We're certainly going to cover it, and we're going to talk about it. We're going to interview the fighters. We're going to do it. We're going to do all of these things. It's just, is it going to be enough? Is it going to be enough? I don't know. I don't know. It's not up to us to go out of our way to do more. Because we cover every Bellator card. We do interviews. We do write-ups. We do all of it. Ariel has Bellator fighters on the show all the time. So we're doing our part. And the card is cool. It's great. But the whole thing of Josh putting that out there wasn't about them. It wasn't about the promotion and the fights. It was about Josh. And that was my issue with the whole rant. It was very hypocritical. You need to do your effing job to put this card over. When the only thing you were doing was putting yourself over. Like, that's wrong. That's wrong. And that's why I had such an issue with what Josh said. I remember your other point. Ahead. I love you, buddy, but... Wrong on both accounts. I'm sorry. I just can't agree with you. Normally, I like to play. I'd love to hear an argument, but I can't on this one. All right, Blake. I'm going a little longer than I should, but I'm going to get you in. You've been waiting patiently. What's up? Blake. 
Let's read a hits comment here since I don't have Blake. Henry is one of the best to ever do it, and I don't like Cejudo. Habib is maybe number nine pound for pound goat, and Cejudo number ten goat. Habib only defended the title three times. That doesn't matter, dude. That doesn't matter. People want to, wanted to see Habib fight. People wanted to see GSP fight. They were clamoring for it. Nobody's clamoring for Cejudo to fight. Nobody. All right, Blake, hey, I Mike, think we can have you hear me. What's up? Yeah, I, I don't know if this was cleared up before, but um, if TJ couldn't have uh, stepped in that night to fight, who would have who would have been the backup? Would it have been um, Jan or would it have been O'Malley or would they have had to have just scrapped the fight and pushed it to another time? Also, um, where would you think Demetrius Johnson would stand within the current Bantamweight division? I know he's fighting in one and their whole weight-cutting system is different, but he's clearly a 135er now. And I still think he could fight with the best of the best. And I don't know if he could challenge for a title shot, but I definitely think he could be in the top five. And one last one. Um, I know I haven't been on here in a long time, but um, I know for we in M- MMA, we always talk about elevation and how that's such a big factor with fighting and how it totally kind of um, busted that, the, that one pay-per-view card. I forget the number um, with Usman, but... Um, 278. Yeah, 278. Yeah. And it's really weird to me that people are always bringing up the elevation as an excuse of why the fights were so bad. Because if you think about all the other major sports, whether it's, you know, hockey, NFL, NBA, MLB, and, you know, these the MMA fighters are probably the best cardio athletes in the world compared to those other sports, the elevation never brought up of why, oh, this team lost because it was, there's too, it was too much elevation and it was too, it was too hard for them to, you know, run and play, play their best. And they were gassed out because of the elevation, the elevation. And I just don't understand why it's been brought up so much in MMA, but not so much in common sports. Thank you so much. I mean, I, like, I, I get where you're coming from. 278 was a weird card. It was, wasn't just the elevation. It was just... And I, I look, Salt Lake City to me seems like a beautiful city, but it just doesn't seem like a big fight city. You know what I mean? Like, Mexico City is a fight city. Like, Denver's a fight city. Salt Lake City, not really. So it was just weird, because, like, people didn't... And I think it was kind of the surprise factor, because even I was saying, coming in, like, I think the altitude was going to play a factor in the Jose Aldo Marab fight, but only like in the third round, but it just, it affected everybody. I didn't think it was going to take that kind of a toll on, on everybody in the card. I really didn't. And I think it was just kind of surprising to people if we're being honest, as far as DJ goes as a Bantamweight. Yeah. Yeah. He's probably, he's probably top five. Yeah. He's top five. We've had this discussion about our rankings. Like, is DJ a flyweight or is he a bantamweight? I don't know. But he's set. I mean, the man said into a live microphone, I'm not fighting at 125 anymore. So to me, he's a bantamweight, but we kind of keep him where he's at, at flyweight. What? I don't know. And then, oh man, now I'm going to get all fired up again. The Dillashaw thing is, the whole thing was stupid. And I've been trying to tell you it was stupid from the moment they booked this fight. The fight should have just been Jose Aldo to begin with. It should have been Aljo versus Aldo. That was the fight that should have been made the entire time. And instead, we got this fight. TJ was compromised. It, and now, we, now we're having this conversation. If you just put Jose Aldo in that fight, we're not having this conversation right now. 
Marab's stock would be higher, actually, because, like, Marab beat Jose Aldo, but I don't think he did himself any favors with how that fight went, if we're being honest. Man, just such a bad move by the UFC. Booking that fight. Like, when Jose Aldo's right there. Ugh. Makes me so mad. All right, I lied. I'll get Doug in here. Doug, what's up? Cannot hear you. Okay. All right. Well, all right. We'll try one more time. Let's see if we can get him. I'm going to yell that if I don't get out of here soon. Doug, do we have you? Unmute. Okay. We're not getting him. All right. We tried, Doug. All right. We got to go. A lot going on. Very busy weekend. Very busy day. The UFC weigh-ins, I think they might be going on right now. I'm not sure. They're happening soon. We'll have the Jake Paul Anderson Silva weigh-ins coming up in a matter, in a little while. Uh, preview show, UFC Vegas 63. It's going to be me and the best friend, A.K. Lee. 3 p.m. Eastern. We'll be going live for that. Uh, just, just a heads up. Casey is on Paul Silva duty. He's in Arizona, so he won't be producing the shows. So they're not going to have the glitz and glamour on the YouTube feed that you are normally accustomed to, but we're going to give you the shows anyways. Uh, ceremonial weigh-ins for Paul Silva coming up later on as well. So we get you covered there, and then tomorrow's just going to be an absolute chaotic day with Bellator, which we're covering. All right, Josh Thompson? UFC, tons of boxing, Paul Silva, all that fun stuff. So... Uh, back here on Tuesday, 10 a.m. Eastern, we'll do it again. I'm sure we'll have a lot to discuss. Thank you all very much. Have a great rest of the weekend. Enjoy the fights. And as always, have a heck of a morning, everybody. Media Podcast Network. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it.